Welcome to Wisdom and the Word Podcast, the show that not only answers your questions from God's Word, but equips believers with the foundational truths for their faith. We're excited that you've taken time to join us and hope that today's content is valuable to you. In today's episode, Pastor Wiley answers a listener's question from the Bible. Welcome to Wisdom in the Word. This is our Thursday broadcast where we'll be answering your questions that you've submitted to us. Our listeners submit questions, and we like to tackle those questions one at a time on our Thursday broadcast. We hope that today's question is something of interest to you that'll be a help to you. We're just going to answer one question today, uh, and I'll get it right into it. One of our listeners writes this, the Bible frequently says, and he slept with his fathers in regards to the king's deaths in the Old Testament. Being asleep is a euphemism for God's salvific rest. One would assume these kings were saved. Furthermore, Ahab has the same thing said of him. Surely, if Ahab was saved, then one such as Joab would be too. So there are three tiers to this question here. First, do you agree that the euphemism is that these kings were saved that are spoken of like this? If not, what basis would you question their salvation? Second, do you believe that Ahab and Joab were saved? Joab strikes us personally as a good guy who stayed loyal as long as David was around and didn't turn his bag back until Solomon. Further, Joab sought refuge in the temple of God, a place of fearful judgment for those in unbelief. And thirdly, finally, was Saul saved? The terms used for him is just that he died. All right, let's talk a little bit about this particular question. It's a great question today. It's got multi-tiers, multiple tiers to it. Um, and we're going to start here in First Kings chapter 11 and verse number 43. Uh, in this particular passage, it records for us Solomon's death, and it uses this phrase. Now, I did a little search on this particular phrase, and it appears many, many times uh, in the Bible over and over and over again. Uh, this phrase is used, First uh, Kings 2.10, 1 Kings 11 11.43, 14.20, 20, 1431, 158, 1524, you get it. And it's just over and over again. It's used in 2 Kings over and over again. Uh, it's used in the uh, in the book of 2 Chronicles uh, over and over again. And multiple times, this particular phrase is used in the Bible. So the question is, uh, first of all, I think we ought to define it. What does this phrase mean? Now, our writer says this, uh, the this concept of being asleep is a euphemism for God's salvific rest, and one would assume these kings were saved. Now, let's also differentiate. Let me start right here by saying we need to differentiate between the Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, in the New Testament, things are put in the framework of being born again. They're put in the framework of regeneration, redemption that took place. Uh, while these concepts are available and they are defined for us in the Old Testament, uh, they are not applied in the same way. That is, in the Old Testament, you, you see when people believed that it was counted unto them for righteousness sake, but because we are not looking at the cross or post-cross, the concepts of, of being saved or of being regenerated are not used in that particular fashion. Now, we do believe that people were saved in the same fashion in the Old Testament, that when they believed on Christ, they <clears throat> it was imputed unto them for righteousness. And of course, you know, imputed means when God gives you something. If something is amputated, it's taken off. If something is imputed, it's given too. 
And the Bible teaches that the concept of imputation is that God puts on our account the righteousness of Jesus Christ when we believe. We believe Genesis 15 and verse number six teaches us that Abraham believed and it was counted unto him for righteousness. So we believe that belief, faith, was always all that was required in order for someone to be saved. But when the Bible records certain things, it does not record always a person's particular salvation testimony. That is, whether they believed in the covenant, whether they believed in the Messiah that was to come, whether they uh, believed in God's promises, which was what was necessary for them to be saved in the Old Testament. We just don't have that particular phraseology or that particular verbiage used in the Old Testament. So while Paul might say in 1 Thessalonians 4, uh, even though even so also them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Uh, while Paul might use this concept of being asleep as a rest for every believer, the Old Testament does not use the same phrase. So I would say initially that I do not believe that the phrase, he slept with his fathers, is a salvific rest. I believe that it's a reference to the fact that he died and he entered into eternity. In fact, uh, this expression is, I was looking up and and reading some things, and I found Matthew Henry did some uh, good work on this particular phrase. He said, this expression is promiscuously used concerning good and bad and signifies only that they died as their fathers did. That is, it's used of both the both the good kings and the bad kings. Um, it doesn't matter whether they ended good or they ended evil. The Bible will say of them that they slept as did their fathers. It's not just used of, of Solomon or uh, Saul or of Ahab or of Joab. Um, it's used of th- this particular phrase is used over and over and over again uh, concerning many, many different kings. Um, so the interpreter question uh, of this, this phrase slept with his father, then leaves kind of begs the question about the salvation testimony of some of these particular kings. Um, And there are some that are mentioned here. Ahab has the same thing said of him. Um, Joab, of course, if, if, if Ahab was saved, then perhaps Joab was saved. And so here's the first part of the question. First, do you agree that the euphemism is that these kings were saved that are spoken of like this, that they slept with their fathers? No, I would not actually approach the phrase slept with his fathers in the same way that Paul would use those that sleep in Jesus uh, as he does those that believed in Christ after their death. I think that this is just a reference to the fact that they died and they died like their fathers did. It's really a significant of the uh, humanity of these people. That is, each one of these kings is going to die just like their father. They're going to have, there's going to come a time when their reign is going to come to an end. Now, what do we know in contrast about Christ? We know that Christ's kingdom, there will be no end. We know that Christ will never sleep with his fathers because uh, when he ascended, he went to his father and one day he's going to rule and he's going to reign. So, and his kingdom will have no no end to it because he has overcome death. But all of these kings, because they were human, they hadn't overcome death, and so they slept with their fathers. So if not, what basis would you question their salvation? Uh, that is, how would you look at it? Well, I'm going to be honest. In, in many of these references and many of these kings, uh, there really is no biblical answer to that particular question. 
Um, I guess we could look at them and we could say, by their fruits, shall you know them, right? I mean, that's a New Testament concept, but we could say that we look at the evidence of someone's life or the evidence of the king's reign and the things that he chose to do and the things that he chose not to do and say whether those things reflected God's commandments or obedience to God or love for God would be indicative of whether we believe that that particular person uh, was saved or unsaved, that is, they believed or they didn't believe. But the emphasis of the kings is not about the personal faith and testimony of each one of the kings. It's about the nation of Israel. So let's remember that. It's not individual. It's national. The history is about the nation of Israel. And additionally, um, it's about the things that they did as king and not really about the things they did as individuals. Now, we do have a record of some of the things they did as individuals. Uh, For example, with David, we have examples. Saul, we have examples. But with some of these kings, their uh, particular narrative is so short in the Bible. All we have are just a verse or a couple verses or a chapter or two that detail some of the things that they did while they were reigning. So uh, for me, um, as we look at this particular text, I would say that sometimes the question is is open. It's open for uh, interpretation because we don't know. So we do our very best to be able to debate these things and come to the best conclusion we can, knowing that sometimes we come to a conclusion that may not uh, agree with somebody else's opinion. That is, there is room for disagreement in some of this because we simply don't have a specific statement that says, you know, Solomon died and went to his forefathers or went to be with his forefathers in heaven or Solomon died and went to Abraham's bosom or Solomon died and went to paradise. We don't have any of those statements in the Old Testament, it does not frame the question of their death in that particular fashion. So with that being said, defining this concept of slept with their fathers and kind of differentiating that between the the New Testament concept of being asleep in Jesus, um, I would say that this is not referring to an eternal rest or a salvific rest. I would say that this is more dealing with a, um, a, a reference to the fact that they were human and that they died in the same manner that their fathers died. And many of the commentators are going to agree with that particular uh, statement. So let me deal with the second aspect of this question. That is this. Do you believe that Ahab and Joab were saved? Um, And then he gives us some information about Joab. Joab strikes us personally as a good guy who stayed loyal as long as David was around and didn't turn his back until Solomon. Further, Joab sought refuge in the temple of God, a place of fearful judgment for those in unbelief. Let me deal with both of these individually. Let me deal first off with with Joab. Joab, of course, was the captain of David's armies. He was very loyal to David. But I'll be honest, as as I studied uh, the life of David, and uh, for those of you interested, we have archives in our uh, own, in our church uh, broadcast of the entire book of 1 Samuel um, and 2 Samuel. Actually, it's probably five or six years worth of study uh, that we did on Sunday evenings. And you could go back and reference some of our study um, in those two particular books. But in my personal opinion, as I studied the person of Joab, I always found Joab to be a very self-serving character in the Bible. I always found him to be doing what's best for Joab. Uh, that is, he liked it when David, what David wanted and what he wanted aligned it together. 
And a lot of times Joab did what he wanted to do, uh, even disobeying David. But David, thankfully, was willing to forgive him and willing to see beyond his his faults. I think there were multiple times when Joab did not please David. And then the opportunity when David goes, when David prepares to die, uh, Joab endorses one of David's other sons as king instead of Solomon, which was who David wanted. And as a result, it almost gives David the opportunity and Solomon the opportunity to be able to deal with Joab probably the way that David wanted to deal with Joab in many other circumstances throughout the course of, of the, his, uh, his kingship in that is to be able to, to kill him. So I don't see him fleeing to the altar as a means of, you know, looking at his, his godliness. I think he, he flies to the altar for the purpose of self-protection, self-preservation. I think he does what he, what he can do there. And I think if you look at him as a character, he is, I think he's self-serving. Now, Again, let me put it to you in this fashion. Scripture is silent as to whether Joab was a believer or whether he repented. We don't know. Could he have experienced genuine repentance there as he held on to the horns of the altar? Possibly. It's possible. Um, Do we know that he did? No. Do we know that he didn't? No. In fact, the Bible doesn't frame it that way. It's telling us a story, and it doesn't tell us on the basis of belief. Perhaps we'll see Joab when we get to heaven. I I do not know. Uh, I do believe that from the consistent presentation that his character in the Bible is presented almost very consistently as one who is self-serving. Now, let's move on to Ahab. Ahab is another interesting character. Um, Ahab, of course, was married to the wicked Jezebel. We know all about uh, Jezebel. Now, as we think about Ahab, um, you would say, okay, well, definitely Ahab was uh, an unsaved man because of the way that he acted. Um, So you watch what he did, who he married, what he chose to do, how he stood against the prophet, the run-ins he had um, with God over and over and over again, uh, how he was rebuked, what he allowed his wife to do. He would say, you know, and and the Bible even indicates that he was a wicked king and in wickedness, he was greater in wickedness than the ones that had come before him. So, I mean, he's a, he is a, a huge a vein in the capillaries of uh, all of the wickedness that takes place um, in those Old Testament uh, passages of Scripture. But if you do look at the Scriptures, if you read the story of Ahab, you do find that Ahab repented. It would seem that Ahab was truly repentant of his actions. You remember the story of Naboth's vineyard? Um, he, you know, asked to, to buy it. Naboth says, it's not mine to sell. And he takes it. And, um, and of course all this takes place and God essentially judges Ahab as a result of what he does with Naboth. And if you read the story, it seems that he, he repented of his actions toward Naboth, uh, that he mourned the divine consequences that were brought as a result of it. Uh, Ahab's genuine repentance resulted in a temporary delay from judgment, uh, which was deferred to the next generation. That is, God said he wasn't going to judge them, and he he stayed the judgment um, and did not judge the nation immediately because Ahab repented of what he had, had done. Now, 
did Ahab's repentance lead to faith in God and eternal salvation? Was he sorry he got caught? caught? Was he sorry that he was going to be punished? It seemed that he was genuinely repentant, but was he just repentant of that particular sin or did he repent of other sins? Again, the Bible is silent. We don't have a particular verse that particular that particularly says that. And I think there's some indication that we need to be silent where the Bible is silent. That is, we need to be careful not to speculate in areas where the Bible might not give us specific information. The biblical text is silent whether Ahab turned towards God and developed a genuine faith. The Bible does not mention Ahab renouncing idolatrous worship or restoring Naboth's vineyard. So that doesn't happen, but he seems to repent of what he had done to Naboth. So it's hard to tell in these stories whether or not you're seeing genuine contrition and repentance uh, that leads to faith in God and a changed behavior, much like what you would see in the New Testament versus just uh, dealing with consequences of being the leader of a nation. Um, Then, you know, we, as we backtrack here, we go to Joab, we go Ahab, let's go back to, to Saul. As we think about Saul, uh, in, in the old Testament, uh, there are a couple places where, uh, the Bible seems to indicate that perhaps Saul was saved. The Bible says that as a King, that God gave him a new heart. God gave him a new heart. A lot of scholars speculate that that new heart that God gave him was a was a, a, a heart as a result of his faith. But then, as you watch Saul, you watch him. You watch basically the deterioration, not only of his character, but also you watch the the way that his uh, his his particular um, his ability to control himself erodes over the course of time. You watch the erosion of his anger. You watch the inability for him to be able to control himself, to be appeased, how he chases David all over the countryside. Samuel, as Samuel rebukes him, um, not only for not killing all the Amalekites, but rebukes him and says, when thou wast little in thine own sight. That is, when you were little in your own sight, um, this is what you were, but now you're not the same person that you were before. Uh, I personally believe, this is just the personal opinion, that when the Bible says that God gave him a new heart, I believe that is in reference to uh, his ability to serve as king. I believe God gave him a new desire to be able to serve. I don't believe the new heart is a regenerated heart or regened heart like we would see in the New Testament. I believe that that, of course, that type of salvation was not available until after Christ uh, went to Calvary. Um, so I believe when you look at Saul, I think that that new heart he got was a heart that basically said uh, that he was uh, made fit, given the ability to be able to rule God's people. I think the evidence of Saul's life would point and indicate that he was not a believer. He did not believe. But again, because the Bible does not say specifically, um, now we do have the reference to the fact that Saul died. All right. So when the Bible refers to Saul's uh, Saul's death, it doesn't say he slept with his father, it says Saul died. But again, we don't want to read too much into that uh, because, again, even the phrase he slept with his fathers is a reference to the fact that they died like all of their forefathers died. Um, <clears throat> let me also deal with. So that's that's dealing with three, Joab, Ahab, Saul. And now let me deal with um, Solomon, even though that wasn't really kind of part of the question. Solomon's an interesting character because Solomon begins in a great way. 
Solomon begins by asking God for wisdom and discernment to be able to rule his people. Uh, he was made wise by God. God conferred that gift of wisdom upon Solomon. Uh, we believe he was the wisest man who ever lived. Uh, he gave us the Proverbs, some of the greatest sayings in all the Bible regarding how to live in the fear of the Lord and the fear of God. Uh, tremendous. But then we know at the end that uh, that the, the, the people, the women that he married— turned his heart against God. In fact, um, as the Bible teaches us, uh, the Bible says that he he married all of these women and had all these concubines. And the Bible says that these women turned his heart away from God. The Bible says in 1 Kings 11, verse 9, and the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. And then you'll notice um, as you as you read in um, these passages, the Bible says in verse number eight, and likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burn incense. That is the things that that Solomon did, he did because his wives turned away his heart. First Kings 11, three, and he had 700 wives, princesses and 300 concubines and his wives turned away his heart. So, does that mean that Solomon lost his salvation at the end? Of course, we don't believe that. We don't believe in in that people can lose their salvation. Um, what does it mean that he turned his heart away? What about what about what about Solomon? Um, some believe that uh, Solomon uh, was not saved. Uh, others uh, that he died without repentance, and they'll say, "Well." His his repentance is not mentioned in his history. We don't have any evidence of, of him repenting. Uh, some would say, well, if he had repented, he would have abolished the mon- monuments of idolatry that he had set up. The ones that he had erected during his for his wives, he would have rejected those and torn those down. And that would have been evidence of his salvation, of the fact that he got right with God. Um, and again, you look at this and you say, all right, well, then how do we respond to that? Well, the other side is going to say this. Um, we don't read anything of the repentance of Adam, Noah, after his drunkenness, Lot, Samson, Asa. There are so many different examples in the Bible of people who did bad things, and maybe that's the last thing you heard of them, and there's no record of their repentance. Does that mean that we should conclude that all of those people are unsaved? Listen, the silence of the scripture is a very weak argument in matters of history. When we try and use the silence of scripture in order to be able to teach something, sometimes we are in, we really are contradicting our own thought when we say, where the scripture is silent, we ought to be silent. And just because the Bible doesn't record uh, Solomon's repentance doesn't mean that he was unsaved, or in the same way it doesn't say the same thing for Adam or Noah or for Lot or for Samson or Asa or any of the people in the Bible that did things. The last thing recorded of them was the fact that they did not uh, do something right. In fact, in the New Testament, Lot is called just or righteous Lot. Samson is listed in the list of heroes that we we see there. Uh, Noah, we we believe Noah was a godly man. We don't. Uh, he, he has certainly has a, a mark on his name because of his wickedness in the end, but we don't characterize his whole life just because of the wickedness that he had in the end. And so I think that, you know, we need to be careful with that. Secondly, about Solomon, if Solomon did repent, the silence of the scripture about it in this history was not without wise reasons. That is, if Solomon didn't repent. If, if the Bible is silent about this particular issue, it's probably silent for a particular reason. 
And you say, why would that be? Well, listen, uh, if his eternal condition was left up in doubt, up in the air, his example might have the greater influence for the terror and caution of future offenders. That is, we might say, because the scriptures are silent on this, we don't know whether Solomon believed or genuine, genuinely believed or not. We don't know where Solomon was at. And so you better check your own salvation. You better check your own faith. I mean, the, the lesson of silence sometimes provides us an opportunity to warn others. And then thirdly, we would say that his repentance is sufficiently implied in, in that after Solomon's death, uh, the way of Solomon is mentioned with honor and joined with the way of David. Second Chronicles chapter 11 and verse number 17, if you want to find that particular text today, we'll read that here as we close. Second Chronicles eleven seventeen, the Bible says, so they strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, strong three years. For three years, they walked in the way of David and Solomon. So in that, that particular text, it tells us that the way of David and Solomon was a good way. It was a right way. So the way of Solomon is seen in the same way as the way of David. So that could be a, a very clear ind indicator of how God views it and how God sees it from that particular perspective. So uh, I, I think, you know, as we approach this question, um, the phrase he slept with his fathers deals with their death, but I don't believe it's a salvific reference. And then additionally, with these characters, Joab, Ahab, Saul, Solomon, it's difficult from the testimony of Scripture to come to a full conclusion where the Bible is silent. When the Bible says nothing, I think we ought to say nothing. Now, certainly we can view and we can speculate and we can talk, but we have to share our opinions just as that, our opinions on the subject. And, and I've shared with you some of my opinions today on this particular text. We do see in some good guys— like Solomon, he starts right and he ends bad. Then you have a man like Ahab who starts wicked and seems to have a moment of repentance in the end. Was it full repentance? Did it completely change? I don't know. I don't know the answer to those questions and the Bible does not tell us. So, I mean, I hate to leave you in, in um, this state of ambiguity where you're just wondering what's what's actually true here. But I, I think that sometimes the Bible is wise in not answering these questions and leaves these things for us so that we might study them out, we might research them on our own and come to our conclusion. And certainly if you have a different conclusion than mine today, I'm not going to argue with you because I'm not, I, can't, I don't have an argument from Scripture. I can argue the Scriptures that I do know, but certainly the ones that are silent. I'm not going to take offense when someone takes a different position. Well, I hope that this has been a help to you today. That's only one question, but it was three tiers, multiple, multiple layers today. I hope it's been a help and a blessing to you. I hope it's been an encouragement to you today. I want to thank you so much for joining us. Please submit your questions. If you have them to us, please email me, uh, message me, let me know that you have questions, and I will add them to the list. I'm getting low on questions. I hope that you will send some to me for our next Thursday episode of Wisdom in the Word. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. God bless you. I hope to see you on Tuesday as we continue in our, our Bible study in the book of Hebrews here at Wisdom and the Word. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Wisdom in the Word podcast. If you've enjoyed today's episode, we invite you to support us by subscribing, rating, and reviewing this show on your favorite podcast app and sharing something you've learned on social media. 
Thanks again for joining us, and we hope to see you next time on Wisdom in the Word.